Louise Tullo, welcome to Chewing It Over. Why should we care about proms? Because we care about how our patients are doing. We care about their outcomes. Underneath it all, we do. Yeah, that's a fair point. But why measure it so carefully? People are always bothered about it being a faff. It takes some time. So why does it matter to measure it? Because we need to be able, we get a lot more value out of proms than just measuring their outcomes. And it's unfair of us as working in the healthcare system to be taking resources, financial resources, time resources, without validating that our work and our patients are actually getting better. We need some way to measure that. And of course, there's many ways to measure that. And proms is just one of those ways. So I've been looking forward to this for a little while now because you've got an interesting story into this space. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up interested in such things? Yeah, well, I guess proms isn't the most riveting of subjects, is it? But um, <laughs> I am I am a, a sport and exercise physician. So that's a doctor that specialises in sport and exercise medicine. And we have those in some countries. We have them in the UK. We have them in Australia and New Zealand. Um, uh, some Canada and the US as well and the Netherlands. So that's not a very well-known specialty, but that's our core. Our core work is the non-surgical management of um, musculoskeletal conditions and the things, the medical matters that relate to athletes and people who are exercising, like pain, period problems, all those sorts of things, fatigue. So my partner and I, James Lawrence, who work in Sydney together, um, also a sports physician, um, Decide we wanted to measure some problems, particularly around osteoarthritis in practice, and we realised that even our good intentions, with our good intentions, there was no real easy way to do that. So we were printing out pieces of paper and scoring complex scores and trying to track things. And um, seeing the future of medicine will be much more values-based and seeing the value of problems to our day-to-day practice and understanding how monitoring progress with our patients and remote monitoring using problems would be effective, we just built a platform. We built a platform called MyScoreIt, um, which was designed to make it really easy for people to measure PROMs. So if you didn't know what to measure, or you, um, we, we helped you with that. If you didn't have any time, we made it as, as few clicks as possible, as least time as possible to take it out of your patient interactions. And we also set it up so that the PROMs process would continue even if you weren't present. So there was automated follow-up. So our focus was to make it really easy for a novice, someone who's otherwise um, fairly naive when it comes to PROMS, to measure PROMS in day-to-day practice. And we focused on MSK because obviously PROMS are not just around MSK, there's PROMS around all sorts of conditions. So so that's our story. And then the product was our um, platform was acquired by Vault um, around a couple of years back. So it's now part of Vault Hub. Yeah, then we'll definitely come into the the sort of detail on on some of the iterations of it, etc. Because that's that's fascinating. But I did you have did you have sympathy in those early days from those uh, of those that say oh, I, I haven't really got time for this, etc. And that's one of the things that motivated you to um, create such an intuitive platform. Oh, absolutely. Well, it's true. I guess if we talk to barriers to measuring outcomes at all. In a system that doesn't require you, so sometimes we have to measure PROMs for regulators or payers, so so we're sort of compelled to do that. But if you don't work in a system where that's value-based or that's not asking you to do that, you have to do it because it adds something to your clinical context and you think it's the right thing to do. So it's got to be beneficial in some way. So we made that platform to be really simple um, because there's not a chance that we were going to be spending our time with the patient 
measuring things on a piece of paper and scoring them, which is really difficult. So it's not a chance that was going to happen. Um, so our the aim was to make it like you don't even know what sort of prom to measure. You want to measure a prom that's regarding a knee. So we gave you a very dis- very small and um, select menu around knee proms. So we helped you with what to measure. And then we just sent all the, the, the email, log the email, off it goes, patient completes it after the consultation, and then we follow it up later and it's automated from there. So so reducing time during, I think you can't expect to collect these prompts during the consult. I don't think patients are happy to come and see you and spend their time measuring out a survey, um, but that information is really useful if you can collect it easily. Yeah, because I, I've encountered lots of different sort of um people with these ideas that have created various different sort of platforms or systems or trying to motivate this sort of behavior. And they've kind of fall into two general camps. One is always trying with, with deep sympathy for the challenge. That means that they've created as, as, as clean and intuitive and simple systems as possible. And, and, and there's the other side, which is that this is important enough. Therefore, I don't care if it's onerous. I don't care if it's data rich in every which way that's kind of it's kind of tough look and therefore just they they kind of not made not really bothered about ui and ux and they've just kind of thought no this is this just it's so necessary that you're just faffing around to do anything too simple and it all that obviously that second second type always just struck me as naive to the 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 challenges of 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 clinical practice was it something that really emerged from your own specific you know use cases in 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 practice as well as then uh developing something beyond for you for your colleagues like how how what was it that motivated those early sort of stages of creating something well um it wasn't just about prompts so we wanted to measure prompts and we thought there was a there, there should have been a system that we could use that we were happy to pay a small fee for to actually use and collect our prompts um, so we thought that should have existed and it was only it only really existed in very expensive platforms or with institutions and so forth. And the UX and UI, as you said, was just awful. So yeah. um, we've got to remember that patients have to participate to measure PROMs so that the, um, the user experience for a patient has to be nice as well. So it can't just we can't just be asking patients for their important data and not and not making it nice experience for them. Um, but the other thing that James and I were particularly interested in is we're interested in digital health and different models of care. So this kind of just melded together to be a project that we were really, we just took our, you know, sunk our teeth into really. We also yeah. got um, early on in our um, evolution, we also um, got selected into an accelerator, healthcare accelerator here in Sydney, which was which, which was un- with one of the private health insurers. Um, because everyone knows that eventually measuring proms is going to have to be part of routine practice and we don't quite know what we're going to do with the data yet. We don't quite know how we're going to share it um, and what the sense we make of it, but it is one step towards ensuring that the things that we pay for in healthcare are the right things. And did you have backgrounds in tech at that point? No, certainly not I. I I'm hopeless with apps, um, um, which is why the UX UI is so important, isn't it? Um, but James is really quite interesting. He had another startup. And I could, to be honest, I don't quite remember what it was, but um, he also <laughs> created a, um, uh, a sporting, a bit of sporting software, sporting, um, I think rugby, looking at rugby scoring and software or something like that for, for students at school. So I'm probably not doing that justice, but he had a couple of apps before um, and much more interested and competent with the tech side of things. 
because I always look, I love on this show, especially I end up having people that have, that have created uh, a solution to a problem. And, uh, and, and we're, we're, I love to sort of get stuck into that. And as someone who also loves to build things, I think sometimes uh, entrepreneurs will, in our space especially, will sometimes just take for granted, well, it wasn't there, so we built it. And I was like, well, well let's not skip past that. Like, it takes uh, quite particular types of people that, that, that spot that and then feel compelled to, to, to solve that. The, the opportunity knocked because it wasn't there, but also you clearly felt that this was an important enough thing in healthcare that it needed to, to be corrected for since since doing it what have um you know ha- have you been proven correct uh in that in that assertion and if so what have you been most proud of in terms of what you were able to achieve in the solutions that it's created i think systems are still really slow at needing at, at identifying that prompts can fit in so um so system uptake is one thing. There are there are pushes and carrots and you know sticks everywhere around prompts that that is pretty slow slow to um to pick up. But the thing I guess that I'm most proud of is when patients engage with their longitudinal data collection. So we right. we built a system whereby you know we've got we've had patients particularly with osteoarthritis. You know, we've had some patients with hip OA that had monitored their prompts for over eighteen months, and we could see. We could see their, we used a Hagos score for them and we could see their, and their visual chart, in, we could see the deterioration in their, their scores to the point where that led us to look at those and say, well, now's time for a surgical procedure because we've tried all these other non-operative things. We're not getting any better. Um, this is not bouncing back. And so they have surgical procedure and then we can see them pop up again afterwards. So that longitudinal engagement of patients with measuring their own outcomes is really helpful. And that's been one of the, that's one of the proudest things that I think um, that I could say is the patient engagement with the tool, with the process. And I guess the other thing that I've really valued as a personal clinician is being able to, I really like to identify psychosocial barriers to recovery. So I really like being able to use an Arebro or something like that to be able to explore mm-hmm. where else I need to reach into a patient's problem to help them more. So, so utilisation of those particular scores has been very helpful for me clinically. Gotcha. Now it's all well and good as talking about it being sort of intuitive, etc. But could you please just describe how the system works? So, are we? Our system is slightly different from the Bold platform. So, shall we talk about the current system? Yeah, talk about yeah. the current system. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah, let's, yeah. I'm going to I'm going to bridge that bridge that with a question. Actually, yeah. Louise, sorry, let's just have put an edit point in here. Actually, that was a, that was a bit of a clumsy rush from me. So, so um, could you tell me a little bit about Val's acquisition and the way in which the platform has evolved over time? Yeah. So, Vold are interested in outcomes, measuring stuff, and so they've got all this lovely hardware that measures objective measures, um, and they they had feedback. Especially when they went in to move from performance into health, that they were they wanted also prompts or um, ways to quantify subjective feedback around outcomes. So the patient's voice. So that was coming from clinicians that that interest in in collecting prompts as well. Um, and so, given their rapid growth, I, I I couldn't possibly say why they acquired rather than build the platform, but they acquired our platform and have been incorporating it through various inter- iterations into Hub. So initially going to be a, 
a product within telehealth and then it's going to be featured now it's like a feature in in hub so we've got you know objective measures within the health hub um, and subjective measures and education so so the product has been tailored a little bit more to live in hub instead of to live on its own um, uh, outside of any other software um, so it's designed predominantly for physiotherapists so how they are going to work with exercise prescription um, education for patients and proms all in the one one dashboard more or less so the way it works now is when you're in hub so if you do your exercise prescription through telehab say which is one of the products in hub or one of the um, tools in hub then you can just easily add a prom and you just click on the prom button it's it's um you assign you pick a side the back pain you know shoulder whatever you get a selection of proms to select then you can, so there's a default process and how often that comes and how many times it comes, but you can change that default. And then that's sent off to the patient and it's automated from there. So the, 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 right. the app actually sends a um, reminder if the patient doesn't do the prom um, and comes around, does it again the next time. So the patient can see their results as well as the clinician. So yeah. next time you see a patient, the results are sitting there for you so that you can be monitoring their progress with their prom. So it motivates that engagement on both from both stakeholder groups then. So the, the clinicians, and I imagine that that extends as well. So the patients and clinicians, we can really understand how they would be able to follow that and the tracking and, and, and ways that, that that longitudinal data will factor into both of their reasoning. We often talk about the clinical reasoning of clinicians um, and therapists, but the reasoning process, of course, is 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 naturally engaging with the um the, the patient themselves are thinking and, and working out where, where to go and how they're feeling and 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 that that extends though then to managers i imagine as well is that uh, with the appropriate consent that the ability to overview a set of clinicians uh, to understand or or a network of patients to understand that, that things are trending positive um which which sounds really promising um when it comes to those those reminders then uh what do you, do you set the do you set the intervals uh for, for each of the different um, proms or any any data that you're trying to collect where each clinician does that? Or is this something that's sort of set at, say, the classics of 3, 6, 12? Yeah, so depending on the prom, so different proms are used for different things um, commonly. So if you so, so depending on the prom, it might come every four weeks or every six weeks or it might only come once only. So if you're doing screening um, a rebro or something, it would only come once. Um, but if your prom is coming every four weeks, then we might also have a default setting where it would be sent three times. So there'd be a collection of sort of, oh, I think that makes it three months, probably three months of prom collection there. Um, if it's coming every six weeks, it might be a, a long-term thing like a hip osteoarthritis, it might, the default might be five times. But you can change those defaults. So I want to, you know, I want to only do this twice or I want to do this ten times. I wouldn't suggest people select proms to be going on forever because that's unrealistic to expect patients to do that most patients are going to recover over a period of a couple of months from acute problems so you don't want to be asking them their prom next year um so yeah so you, so there's a default setting which we've decided that probably is the, has the highest utility most practical use and then you can override or reselect change that default setting on the interval between proms and to how many proms are sent over time 
And then let's imagine a, a patient uh, that's also using Saval devices, say that they're using Dynamo or they've got Forstex data that's then over the course of that same time frame. On Valhub, you could see that alongside that, could you? You can see the ways yes. in which that might colorate or, in or interact. Yeah, you see a chart. You see a chart right. on the same dashboard where right. you see that other data. Because this speaks to one of the things that uh, I've been speaking about quite a lot in the last six months or so, where I've been really impressed with Val, that they're not using data as a beating stick or a way in which they can then override or supplant clinical reasoning. It's a way of which it can really be uh, interfaced with and and, and supplement uh, rather than supplant. Have you found that to be the case with, with, yeah, with so, Val? So PROMS is just another way of measuring something. And PROMs are measuring the patient's experience on things that you can only ask them. You can only ask them about their pain, their quality of life, their sleep, how much in day-to-day -day life they're bothered. So that's a way to measure that aspect, but no measurement tool is perfect and everything occurs in context. So I would say that if we could just take a step back to where you mentioned about managers would be good to see, see comparing. Yeah. There's different uses of PROMs, and I think this is important to understand. So what we're talking about right now is that micro-level use of um, PROMs, which is between you and I as a patient and the client. So that's that helps our clinical reasoning, our judgment, helps me understand you better. Some PROMs are really great for that, and some PROMs uh, are not, okay? So the next level up would be that meso level, which is where you've got research studies going or um, sort of uh, registries. And the higher level is population health, that macro level population health. So in the UK in particular, that the NHS monitors a few prompts for a few different conditions um, to, try and, to try and create benchmarking around services and understand how services are being utilised and how you can compare services between each other. But there's enormous difficulty in doing that because you need to be making sure you're comparing apples to apples. And whilst that happens at the population level, that also happens at the clinic level. So a manager can't say, you know, your patients, Jack, are doing this with their Q score in arthritis and my patients are doing this in their Q score because we might be comparing apples to oranges. And there's a whole series of other factors that play into to somebody's outcome, which we call case mix adjustment variables. Um, and in populations, we're trying to collect that data as well to, to, to try and um, properly compare groups. So we would take, for example, education level, presence of comorbidities, obesity, mental health problems, um, alcohol abuse, um, job, unemployment, sleep, all sorts of things make it, it largely socioeconomic influences, make it less or more likely that you're going to have a better outcome. So if you've got someone with an ACL injury in a very affluent area that has lots of money for physiotherapy, that's highly motivated, um, they're going to do better than someone who has no money for physiotherapy, doesn't really have access to information and is not. So those case mix adjustment variables are really important. We, should, we need to be very careful that managers don't actually compare the outcomes of one clinician to the outcomes of another clinician using these prompts. So, gotcha. so yeah, and, and, and the other thing is that I would think that managers could possibly say, you know, Jack is great, he measures a prom on every patient. Or 60% of his patients, and Louise is rubbish because she's only measured like three PROMs ever. So I think the intention to use PROMs and become more familiar with something you can measure. Um, gotcha. But okay. But then going too far, I, I can see that. And it re reminds me, of in the in the UK, they made a classic mistake that comes back around now and again of 
of putting uh, public publicly available surgical data, which was then yep. uh, so naive because of the way in which then vascular the leading vascular surgeons in the country that would see the most complex of cases would then have yep. what was seen to be higher morbidity rates when, of course, that was because of the risk profile. And so you could imagine that working its way down even into MSK. I suppose just to, just to poke at that a little bit, though, if I had two clinicians pulling from the same waiting list over a 12-month period and it, and it showed that both had let's just uh, dare to dream and they both had 100% prom rates on 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 every level um if that then indicated that one was was say uh, weaker than his peers on on shoulders i don't i don't as long as that wasn't used as some sort of there wasn't some sort of um consequence to that that was deleterious to to, to their career if, if, if that was seen as being like a training need analysis or a way in which that that could that could really help them with that it might be useful to be integrated into an appraisal if appropriately private am i am i wrong there is that still a bit i know i think that's true i think where we envisage the tool being used if someone was really good at something we would say, what are you doing and learn from that? So the, the reverse is also true. If you're just not seeing, yeah. you know, great outcomes here. But measuring the outcomes is still difficult. It's a trend and it's a loose metric when it comes to clinicians. And that's why when we come to value-based care, it's going to be really difficult for organisations to actually compare clinicians. Um, yeah, so so that that I think we need to be very careful about doing that. Yeah, I think that, that that's certainly true. You can see how that would be would be used in, in the wrong hands or with the wrong logic that that could be used as a as a beating stick, certainly. But I think it's it's one of those where um, if if used appropriately, could really um, enhance departments. I think it's definitely a tertiary benefit. You know, I always think it, we we started at the right place, which was for patients and and clinicians and. And that then, but if you go further up, then it'd be useful. I know that then uh, Valdhub is creating then an ever increasing amount of normative data. This will imagine support that process on a population level across the world. Oh, ideally it will, and also matching their objective data with their prom data. So, so that, but there is normative data known for some proms already, just from research perspective. Um, and that was also where that was known. We wanted to make that visible on the platform, so that 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 remains on the on the roadmap to to display normative data, so you know what's a good result. If we take normative data, oh, we'll come back and talk about clinical reasoning and normative data later, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's where we. That's certainly where we're going. What what do you? How do you see it as being um, supportive? And how how do you best see proms and, and any any data really being best in? integrated into clinical reasoning and what what examples can we take from from that because there are some people that are fearful of um as i mentioned before data or metrics or robots sort of supplanting that that very organic very trained process of clinical reasoning so how, how do you see those two things i think that all these assessment tools are just rounding out the picture of the patient they're contributing to the, the puzzle pieces in the, in that patient's story um, and ultimately, the pa- what the patient expresses and how they engage in their life is really the important thing. So in terms of clinical reasoning, PROMs can be used, I think, in a couple of ways. So we talked, well, I was going to talk about the example of the ACL, but for example, decision-making around interventions or decision-making around return to sport. So 
um, if it, in the case of an ACL injury, regardless of how you manage that ACL injury, prom, uh, an IKDC is frequently used to, to monitor people with ACL injury or post-operatively. And when that level 100 is perfect, when that person's getting to 90 to 95 in that IKDC, that correlates really quite nicely with capacity to return to sport from a physical perspective. And then you can combine that with your um, other more objective measures, even just clinical hop tests and so forth, or your strength tests, or your balance, whatever you, you your force decks or whatever you can collect, you can collect that data and see is it the same as the other side? Is it approaching normative data? So we definitely know normative data for RKDC as a prom. Um, but the other thing is that that patient may not still get feel confident to go back to sport. So it's like they, their knees get, and we see this all the time in ACL. So people recover from this complex surgery or complex injury and they don't go back to sport. One, maybe they don't have to go through it all again. So they choose to do something differently. But mostly that's because they don't feel confident and they're playing that injury over in their head. There's psychological reasons why they don't want to get back to sport. And so then you can throw in another prom, which we get asked for a lot, but which isn't built yet, but hopefully soon, called an ACL RSI, which is a readiness, um, a readiness yeah. score around, you know, it's a simple question. So so that can so those two bits of information in addition to your to your patient, to your functional outcomes or your objective measures. Um really help that return to sport decision. And so that's a really, I think, a very strong example. But we also have examples around that OA that I gave you the example of, tracking yeah. stuff over time, it's getting better, not worse. You know, we also assumed that, so, so that was a decision around an intervention um, and then the response to intervention. Um, and then I also mentioned, of course, that a rebro or some other yellow flags tool there's plenty of them that help you to understand those things that are hard to ask and particularly more junior clinicians don't necessarily want to ask how people think and feel about their problem what beliefs they have so you just throw them a prom and then you can open up the questions that prom and you can say wow you're not sleeping and wow you don't think you'll be going back to work soon wow you're highly anxious what does that mean for your for your recovery and we see that all the time don't we in back pain and, and kneecap mm -hmm. pain things so so it's, i think that it's the clinical reasoning particularly around readiness timing for intervention when someone's not on track look taking a deeper look when um, when we're thinking about the ways in which this will um contribute to decision making rather than make the decision for anyone do, does the does the valve hub or could it perhaps be in the pipeline that there are ways in which we can mark say uh, moments or interventions or or parts of that that can mean that they could correlate across the story say that there were particular sort of sessions or incidents and things like that is that already in in, in place when we're looking at that that wider picture as we're building more data say from even the hardware that the, the proms are coming in do we have ways in which we can flag particular moments or is that just a loose annotation I think that we're not. It's not sophisticated enough to do that yet. So, and I think Bold are truly trying to stay out of clinical influence. So they're just giving right. clinicians data, and they don't know. I mean, there's also that when you're looking at um, trajectories or um, uh, data sets or um, flags like that, you kind of need a diagnosis. So you need to have a similar population. Really, you need to have yeah. medial knee osteoarthritis, or you need to have ACL injury operative or non-operative or whatever it is and it's not that easy to agree on a diagnostic criteria for many things so 
you know, particularly non-surgical things. Um, so if you don't have the same group of apples again at the beginning, it's pretty mm. hard to determine um, those, those inflection points. So I, I don't, I, I guess I'm not privy to the to the roadmap visions of Valden. Maybe I don't think big enough, but I can't see um, see see that happening in a way that would subvert um, clinicians. Yeah, I think I think on on again the hypothetical perfect sort of data set that I might be extracting from a patient, and this could be done as a loose annotation without major compromise. But I was just thinking that if you had then say twelve months worth of data on an ACL, and you had the various different interve- therapy interventions that might have occurred at different points, um, so if I wanted to correlate that with a period in which that that say. Um, say there'd been an orthoses that have been used uh, for a period of time, perhaps, and you were trying to correlate that across, say that there'd been a reason for them needing to have an injection um, or say that there'd been a period of illness. And you, and you were just trying to then cross correlate those clinical moments to the data. Um, that was something that you could imagine me pulling that through and then literally loosely annotating it perhaps in person uh, in, in pen. Um, I would, I could just imagine that, um being a positive thing but then i'm also sympathetic to the like you've said you know val quite sensibly and i've praised them for for not running that interference or making sure that the system doesn't sort of try to flag those moments or sort of force them into the conversation so i can see the sort of pros and cons of it for sure but that was just me to give you a bit of an insight into what i was thinking as a clinician as to how that might be be useful and be be interesting to see how it develops but but you're touching on another um thing to create jack so this concept of a timeline a patient timeline whether you can actually see things visually over time where the different events stack up where the outcomes stack up um, and that's also i use timelines clinically a lot actually for people with trauma and pain and mm. complex sort of psychosocial things to understand how different events relate to each other as an exercise but um yeah i'm not sure what if there's that that's all the vision for for Vault. I'm getting I'm getting carried away. I'm getting, getting excited. Getting all, away. All, this, all, this, all, this techno- all this technology. I do <laughs> I do get excited. Can we can we talk a little bit about some of the some of the things that, that that firstly for you having been in this space a while and thought in this direction uh, on behalf of us all in many ways. Where do you see? Where do you see this this going? What would further and deeper uptake mean for our uh, industry? Um, I think, I think uptake would, I think the uptake's going to be forced on the industry. And I, so I don't, I think that there's going to be increasing push for people to measure outcomes as the first step, what people do with that outcomes, because they're not, a, they're a pretty blunt instrument. Okay. So they're a pretty blunt instrument and comparing apples to apples is not easy. So What's going to happen with that? I'm not sure. I don't think payers or regulators are going to be able to say you're not performing well enough, therefore we, you don't get funded, okay? So I don't think we're ever going to have a situation where enough data is sound enough to be sharing across multiple parties to be able to determine who gets paid and who doesn't get paid. I don't see the models in the states, for example, that try and add value-based care. I don't see them working in that, that manner. So in terms of the industry, though, we did work with the Australian Physiotherapy Association because that everyone knows that some sort of, re- some sort of re- 
requirement for measuring outcomes will 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 be part of the future. So we did a pilot just before COVID, actually, using um, our platform, MyScore, when it's called MyScore, um, on physios and just around knee kneecap pain um, and so forth to see the uptake and where the patients would agree to share their data with the APA because the APA had a vision of using it for advocacy. So this is what our people show. This is this is the, 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 the longitudinal data on these sorts of conditions over time, but we run up against the same problems. Can you make an accurate diagnosis? How good are the instruments at showing you outcomes over time? And our incorrect belief that things get better over time because some things just stay the same. If you have an arthritic knee, staying the same is probably a good outcome. So we can't expect things to get better all the time. Sometimes they get worse. Sometimes you only collect the prom when the person's bad. So in back pain, they come and go. They, they only measure the prom when they're bad. They forget, don't do the proms, but they get another reminder and their back's been bad today, so they do the prom. So you're not getting a good snapshot of, of what's happening over time um, either. So there's so many flaws, even though they're so useful, um, and particularly on a one-on-one basis, they're so useful showing change over time, um, they're pretty blunt. So in terms yeah. of the industry, I think our organisations are going to want to demonstrate their value by saying these are our outcomes. I think that's going to be turn up some surprises. It's promising. It's promising that your analysis is that there's going to be more carrots emerged than sticks emerged, though. That's quite nice. It's going to be useful that, that these things might be say mandated to be collected, but not necessarily then those dark consequences of of that that data again being used as a beating stick. Um, because it's a Monday morning here, um, in a couple of hours, I take uh, about twenty to thirty of our uh, local elderly for a, for a wander. We, we we do a walking group, community walking group and we've been collecting proms at the beginning of this year and we're going to be doing that at six and, and 12 months as well as then some um, generalized um, outcome measures associated to that clinical outcome measures and one of the things that's just rung a bell on is the fact that I've been sort of assuring them that um, at, you know an 80 year old on a six minute walk test as well as some of their OA proms maintenance is a is is a great thing you know that the that the age at you know age at that point unfortunately means that the trend is to uh deteriorate those those scores and therefore maintenance is great and so therefore we need yeah. to always be applying that clinical context and even some of them were a bit that are a bit younger that would maybe want to be kicking on they've then then got other comorbidities that mean that they're unlikely to and therefore again just anything that is um maintenance or a reduced reductions compared to normative is 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 a big win and so that's one of the classic a, a great example of, of applying this stuff to clinical practice that doesn't mean that everything has to sort of be, be a perfect trend line correct correct with that and also the quality of life scores so when we talked about sort of what the nhs might be measuring with services um and what we can measure between clinicians we want different prompts so if i was um if i was a if i was handing out the public dollar for healthcare, I'm wanting a general quality of life from, okay? So, you know, your EQ5D or your PROMIS or your SF, you know, 12, 36 type proms, those general apply to everything that 
that look at the whole person and their quality of life. But as an individual clinician, that doesn't really help me terribly much. It would help you, Jack, with your people because I imagine yeah, that going on a walking group would be very important for quality of life. Mm. Um, but what it doesn't help is um, it doesn't show change over time very well. So we call that a quality of from is called responsiveness when it shows change over time. So if, if your condition is getting better but I'm not seeing any change in your global health score, that, that means it's not responsive. And those global sort of quality of life scores that the that um, that healthcare systems measure don't tend to show change over time, whereas a Q score or something more specific to their knee or a patient-specific functional scale, which is unique to them, those would be much more useful scales to monitor someone's function over time for a clinician. That's fantastic. No, thank you so much for your time today. Could you tell us a little bit about where anyone else might be able to find you if they want to get in touch? Me personally, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, You'll be famous after I... this, you see. That's the, that's, yeah, the yeah. Risk. that's the risk. You come on this show. No, no, no. Probably, probably LinkedIn, LinkedIn will be the easiest place. If you want my email, obviously you can share my email. I'm fine with that. Um, I've stopped on Twitter. I've stopped tweeting. I was just painful but uh those that linkedin would probably be easiest no, no problem you're not alone there that's fine so as long as you as long as you're somewhere because i know you'll be in demand but thank you so much for all you've done all you've built and for joining us today it's been it's been fascinating and i'm excited to to follow how the, how the valve hub develops in this direction it's been great to hear its origin story so thank you thank you jack you have a great day cheers and you